Hey everybody, it's Richard from Richard's Mountain Bike Show. Uh, and if you don't believe me, well, honestly, I've just checked, it definitely is me. So this is the first in a really cool series, um, which I totally thought of myself and absolutely did not get the suggestion from my friend James Anderson. This series is called One Man Brand, rather than One Man Band. And it's about individuals that have created something brilliant in the mountain bike industry. And this first interview is with an absolutely fascinating guy called Kevin Wren, who was the founder of Wren Sports, who make the, well, ridiculously good inverted mountain bike forks and fat bike forks. So this is an interview I had with Kevin. So enjoy and hang on till the end because there's a really um, cool postscript that came at the end of this, uh, this interview, which I'll, I'll fill you in with then. So, hey, enjoy the podcast. Cheers. Well, you've almost certainly seen I've got a fabulous new fat bike. And one of the things that I had to do, I had to choose some forks for my fat bike. And because it's a dream build, I thought, what could I possibly get? And what I settled on were these unusual, magnificent forks called Wren. And they're inverted forks and they've come and I've had a first couple of rides on them. I'm super impressed. I'm kind of learning how to set them up. And I wanted to find out more about the business. And I thought, why not go to the very top? And the very top is Kevin Wren, who has very graciously agreed to be on a Zoom call with me. So everybody, welcome Kevin. Hello. Hi, Richard. Uh, thank you very much for the invitation. I have a bit of a cold, so I apologize for the, the vocals. I, I'm pretty sure I can't get it over Zoom, so we're okay. So uh, <laughs> yeah, and I can never get rid of that New Jersey accent. So, <laughs> so Kevin, where are you based? Uh, I'm located just outside of Sacramento, California, uh, probably about thirty minutes from the Sierra foothills. So heading into Lake Tahoe, beautiful, beautiful place. Can I take you all the way back? And you're a guy who's got this company selling this innovative product. Has it always been mountain biking? Where, how did, what's your background? Uh, geez, um, I actually studied to be a priest. And um, <laughs> when, I, when I came out of, yeah, of course, the sales. It's well, sales. Well, well, obviously, who doesn't? Yeah. Right. And so, uh, you know, when I came out of the seminary, I didn't know what I was going to do. And um, I took a job selling office supplies door to door. And um, I came upon a customer and uh, one thing led to another. And the next thing I know, I'm being offered a job. Uh, I wasn't looking for a job and turned out I was talking to Yoshi Shimano. I, I didn't know what Shimano was. They were a customer. They were a good customer. And um, you, were thing, selling, you were selling office supplies too. Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, you know, um, it was a lesson for me that you never know where your life is going to take and they offered me less money than what I was making, but I just had this feeling. And uh, I said, so what do you do? And he said, make fishing tackle and bike parts. And I said, I love to fish. <laughs> you know, here I am 40 years later in the bike business. And I, I got very lucky. I mean, to, to work directly for Yoshi, uh, I was there for a little over six years and headed up sales in North America. And, um, you, you couldn't get a better education in terms of how to manage a business. 
the the level of involvement that someone at Yoshi's level would get into in a sales meeting for me I, I was like a sponge yeah. and then you turned me loose on a trip to Japan and I had never seen product get made before and to watch raw material come into a factory a big machine smash it and turn it into a finished product um, was very impressive to me and so without any background in that I I learned the difference between a casting and a forging and extrusion and and more importantly what the costs of those were um, I loved the business aspect of things and I got lucky that you know bicycles was where they put me and and I did well and I enjoyed it and I learned about business and I learned about manufacturing I, I think if I could just interrupt for a second I think I think you 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 say you got lucky I think what often happens from, from people I know who, who are successful or whatever else is no, you had it. You got lucky. You had an opportunity. I think many other people wouldn't have seized that opportunity, and embraced it. I'm sure there are guys who would have been offered the the job with less money who wouldn't have taken it for whatever reason. Right. So, so I think I think well, maybe it was interesting to me also, Richard, that um, I, I grew up in a in an area of New Jersey that was extremely prejudiced. You know, forget about black and white. Um, we had white people who hated white people. The Polish hated the Italians. We had those kind of neighborhoods. And, and so for me to be exposed to a different culture, um, it opened my eyes. Um, and I am extremely grateful for that, uh, more, even more so than the business. Um, what, what, era, what era was this, Kevin? Sorry. That was 1980. Okay. 1980. And, uh, you know, Shimano was based in New Jersey and they opened an office in California. And my wife at the time refused to move. And so I wound up working for Union Frondenberg, a German company that specialized in pedals and uh, spokes, galvanized spokes. And um, we wound up doing some interesting things with them. We licensed the Hugie Hub. Okay, uh, wow. We had the Hugie Hub for a number of years and then sold that to DT Swiss, um, which, by the way, the patent just recently expired on the <laughs> ratchet mechanism. And hang on, hang on. You heard it here first. <laughs> yes, yes, you he did hear it there first. And, you know, having the background um, of, of having worked directly with Willie um, and seeing the set success that DT Swiss has had with the hub, um, we are going to come out with our own version of it. Wow, okay. Uh, you know, we found a little niche with fat bikes. We found a further little niche with suspension for fat bikes. And then... We further refine that with extreme cold weather performance. And so we have found that by focusing, um, we're, we're able to deliver a quality product that is targeted at the user. Um, yes. So, you know, uh, from, from Union Frontenberg, I went on to Cannondale and I was hired there to be the uh, CODA um, director and um we did the project with Magic Motorcycles for the machine uh, okay. crank set. And um, we worked with the Volvo Cannondale racing team, um, where I worked with people like my current sponsored rider, Tinker Juarez, um, Missy Geo, Miles Rockwell, um, wow. Allison Sidor. And, and so for a young guy to have that opportunity to work directly with those racers and 
their their major mechanic was a guy named Steve Gravenitis. And um, to be able to work through him with these riders was a fabulous experience because I will never put the kind of torque on a, a product that these people will. And um, some of them were great to work with. Some of them were a pain in the ass. <laughs> But, but, but you, you know, but you were right there. You were right there on, on the shop floor for one of a better experience, getting immediate feedback. You, yeah. you were like the guy in the Formula One team when the driver's talking directly to you, saying, "This is how it feels. I'd want it yeah. to do this. I don't like it doing this." You know, you you were in, you know, absorbing that, I guess. Well, and and I was lucky. We had a um, a couple of engineers that were assigned specifically to the Coda project. And, and so on the technical, the real nitty gritty of the details, you could rely on people that, that had that education. Um, what I could do was look at, okay, how are we going to make that? Um, where are we going to make that? How does that impact our costing? And, and so the Coda experience was, was great. I learned a lot about marketing. Um, the last big position I had was at Bell Sports. I was the vice president of marketing and product development for everything but the helmets. I had nothing to do with the helmets. And so it was a smaller piece of the business, but we had the Blackburn brand, Road Gear brand, Vistalite brand. And, and that really opened me up to sourcing in Asia, where we would go on three-week trips and we would hit three factories a day. And... Um, that was a fabulous experience. You also had volume. So you were working from a power base where, yes. you know, if we move product from one factory to another factory, it was a significant loss for the one. It was a significant gain for the other. And, um, and presumably from your, from your time with, with Shimano, you, you knew what to look for. Uh, it's, it's, it's a bizarre coincidence. I, um, at university, I, I, I did my dissertation on, on Toyota and their manufacturing process, part of my marketing degree. Uh, and at that time, you know, uh, it was sort of early 90s, but it was all about this Toyota just in time, this just in time and, and, when, and, and how they, and, and it's, uh, it, it, it sort of really opened my eyes because they had this, you talk about the management involvement and they had this uh, suggestion box where genuinely anyone on the shop floor of the manufacturing process would Every day they'd have dozens of suggestions of some guys saying, hey, look, the lines on the floor telling everyone where to go are eight inches wide. If we make them seven inches wide, look how much paint we'll save, <laughs> you know, and, and every employee's contribution to how the factory could run better or more efficiently, not just cheaper, was embraced. Uh, and I, and I've, I've always had a fascination for, you know, that side of the manufacturing where quality. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, my experience with Shimano was more on the sales side. And, and while you would go through the factory, if you came over and visited, we would walk you through the factory and you would see cold forging and, and those kind of processes. Um, to be perfectly honest, the way Shimano was growing in those days, I could have been a, a dog and you could put a sign around my neck that said coaster breaks $3.10. <laughs> dog would come out with an oil, you know? Yeah. And, and, and so I am grateful. Um, they gave me opportunities to sell to large corporations. Um, they gave me the freedom to go out there and work with the purchasing people and the marketing people and basically build a confidence in yourself that really wasn't justified. 
you know, the, the power of the company was so strong and the demand for, in those days, you couldn't give away a, a dealer level product. It was Suntour, Hure, Campagnolo, Simplex. Yeah. We sold coaster brakes, three-speed hubs, and Positron derailleurs, which was the original click, click, click yeah. uh, index shifting. And I will say this, you know, Shimano is amazing. If you look at how companies are structured, typically it's they come out with a high-performance product and that filters down. Shimano worked their way up from a single-speed freewheel to coaster brakes, three-speed hubs, and slowly but surely they put out a business, Bendix coaster brakes. They put out a business, Sturmy Archer three-speed hubs. Um, they just dominated. And for them to have the foresight um, in 1980, I'm going to say four, we were testing electronic shifters. And okay. as we would ride around the neighborhood, garage doors would go up. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> it, it, that stuff yeah. never hit the market. That, is, you know, but, is, is that but when your was, career in, in petty burglary started? You could just ride much. around the neighborhood opening everyone's garage. Open garage doors. <laughs> well, that looks good. No, and it's, you know, it's interesting because, um, all of the index shifting um, was done at a mass market level. We sold this stuff into Kmart, Walmart, Toys R Us, and sold hundreds of thousands of units. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of the lessons that you learn, um, you know, from Yoshi uh, was, you know, before you sell anything, you sell yourself. Yeah. And, and you show up when you say you're going to show up. And for the most part, you shut up and you listen because everybody has problems they want to share their problems and you can either help them or you can tell them the truth where you can't and don't waste anybody's time you know yeah. and 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 so you know you look at that and you look at you know your experiences growing up the things that your mother said to you you know treat people the way you want to be treated yeah. and and that's all blended into where we are today you know, we put out really good products. I, I believe it's great value in whatever product you buy from us. Um, if you search about Ren, because we don't we don't do any advertising, customer service is one of the strongest points that we have. And I'm very fortunate that when I started the business seven years ago, my good friend Russ Johnson, who I met at Shimano in 1980, okay. uh, had had semi-retired. And I talked him into moving to California for a couple of years, helping me get the business started. And um, we got the business rolling. He now moved back to New Jersey, which is crazy. Yeah. California sunshine, picking fruits in January. He's going to shovel snow. But, you know, I, I love the guy. And I'm very lucky to have him as a partner because um, he handles all of our customer service worldwide. We now have about 11 distributors around the world, and um, he trains them in the product. Primarily, the fork is the most complex, um, and as simple as it is, he, he does a training session, and they stock all of our service parts. So if you have an issue and you're in a different country, yeah. uh, chances are you'll have that product in 24 hours. I, I think I'd like to go back to sort of why why the forks and, and why that yeah. company. So oh, Okay, just, so I reached out to some friends in Taiwan, uh, which is uh, where the, the bulk of my relationships 
were formed to factory owners, people who 35 years ago when I was at Cannondale gave them their first OEM spec yeah. and did a code of break, for example, with Leo from Tektro. And, you know, so that relationship is very, very strong. From Blackburn, we work, we work with a company called uh, Beto, D-E-T-O, and they are the largest manufacturer of uh, air pumps anywhere in the world. Wow, okay. Um, became very good friends with the owner, Lopin. And that man has more patents than anybody I've ever known. And if you research Lopin Wang, you'll just see patent after patent after patent. And so when I approached these guys about starting a business, um, the reception was good. Um, I was able to get some favorable terms in terms of payment. Uh, when we wanted to create a new product, I was able to amortize my tooling. So if you're going to spend 15000 on a piece of mold, you know, I could spend $10,000 or $10 per piece yeah. added, to my, added to my price. I have a local airport, I apologize. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we started the business. I grabbed whatever my friends were willing to give me. So we did car racks, we did air pumps, we did the suspension fork. A friend of mine was making this thing and he was selling it to four or five people here in the US and one or two people in Europe. And uh, we had 50 forks and out of the 50 forks, we had 48 problems. And his solution to that was here, I'll replace the fork. And I said, no, you know, now I'm going to have a customer who's pissed off twice. Yeah. Know, first work, and I'm going to send them the same thing. Here's what you need to do to fix it. And having that conversation, we went down the path of there's a lot more you can do to, to improve this fork, but I'll be damned if I'm going to give you that information and you're going to sell it to, to five people here in the States. And so we asked him what his... Uh, total sales were for the previous year in terms of units. And we had just gotten some investment money. One of our investors is Kozo Shimano, the son of Yoshi, who we worked for. And so we had gotten this income of cash and uh, I made him an offer. I'll, I'll give you a, a purchase order for 100% of what you sold to everybody last year, if you make these changes. And so we have made substantial changes to the fork. We continue to make changes continuously. Uh, when, we, when we first got the program running, um, we found that a lot of our customers were extreme cold weather users, people in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Alaska. Uh, we had people call us from Finland, Norway, uh, people who use a product in an extreme environment and nothing was working, including our fork. You know, it would freeze up once you got a little bit below freezing. And um, so we developed an extreme winter damper. And our fork is very easy to service. You can do it yourself. You open it up, take out the damper. It's a sealed unit. You put in the new winter damper. And we recommend using a little bit different grease if you're going to use it in the kind of temperatures minus 30. And... Um, while we were doing that, we, we tried to develop a damper that would allow us to have the product work in the most extreme 110, 115 temperatures down to minus 30. And that is the damper that we now supply with the fork. 
So our fork comes with an extreme or all year round damper. Yeah. And excuse me, I'm, I'm very proud of that because, you know, it's nice to sell a fork and it's really nice to sell an extra damper. We make money, but I would rather sell you the right product from day one and not have to go back and fix something or upgrade something. Yeah. And, and it's the right way to treat people. You know, you, you want to do business the way you want to be treated. Um, so we're, we're fortunate. You know, I mentioned that Russ handles our service worldwide. We don't have a lot of service issues. Um, there's an understanding of the twin air system that needs to be learned. It is different. Um, we ship a fork to a dealer and I say, you know, let me explain the twin air. He goes, no, no, no. I've set up forks all my life, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, sure enough, he's the guy that calls you back and says, I can't get this thing set up. Did you read the instructions? No. And it is different. It is extremely unique, uh, but is the most simple, simple system you will ever have. You can go to any trail and take your, your shock pump yeah. and basically, conditions you can adjust where that floating piston is to either give you a faster response or to give your uh your your compression uh, a, a more significant ramp up so you're using your travel more prodigiously well one, one of the sort of compliments to you or the things about the product is my, my first thought was if you were a racer or a pro rider and you go and you set up your suspension and you, and you go to a race or you go to an event and you have a practice lap or, you know, you could literally trail side, as you, you were just sort of saying, you could have a shock pump with you and think, whoa, this is a much more intense course than I thought. I need the fork to be more progressive. I'm going to add some, add some more air at the bottom. Or actually, right. there aren't the big hits I thought there were going to be, but actually it's a lot of small baby head stones. I want it to be a right. more Roots comfortable rocks. Right. You add some more right. at the top if I'm saying well, that right. You know, got... that, that's true, Richard. And and to that, where our competition, if you want to make that kind of a change, it's done with a, a clip, an insert. So you have to open your fork up to do that. With ours, you your pump is different than my pump. So I can't tell you to put in 15 strokes. Yeah. But you know your fork and you understand the twin air system you'll know that I can put in a half a stroke, right? And, and you're not moving it 10 millimeters like the clip. Yeah. You may move it a millimeter and a half, or you may decide you want to move it 12 and a half millimeters. You can get that feel. The other thing I would say to you as a new user is, is never fear to play with it because all you got to do is dump the air out of both yeah. chains, right? And you go back to zero. The floating piston drops to the bottom. and you know, it's, it's almost like a normal fork in the sense that if you leave it at the bottom and you put in all your air in the upper section, forget about PSI, yeah. and you get 20% sag, yeah. your piston is still at the bottom. Now what you can do is by adding air to the bottom, you can make that adjustment pushing the piston up. And so if you can envision two chambers where the piston is down towards the bottom, you have a big chamber of air trying to compress a small chamber of air very difficult to do right because you've got all this volume and it can move versus the small volume and and that's where having more air in the upper chamber and less in the bottom is going to give you your most progressive ramp up 
if you see that you get to a trail and there's a lot of baby heads, you might want to put five, six shots in the bottom, move that piston up a bit. Now you have a smaller chamber of air compressing a larger chamber of air, and it's easier for that piston to move. So your response is going to be faster. Okay. And you may also notice with your fork that because all of our weight is up in the, in the crown and the upper tubes, as opposed to all of the standard forks where all your weight is at the bottom, it takes a bigger hit to move a standard fork than it does the inverted fork. And over time, you'll notice, um, A, that you're not going to have to replace your oil because it is a sealed system. Nothing gets into it. No air, no dirt, nothing. We don't have seals on our fork. Okay. What you have on the bottom of your fork is a wiper. And, and all that is doing is trying to move the crap away from going inside. Should it go inside, your, your oil damper is sealed. There's absolutely nothing that will foul your damper. And so people will call up and say, hey, I've got 400 hours on the fork. I want to change the oil. How's it performing? It's, it's really based on performance. Right. Depending, on, again, on your use, and I'm assuming in the UK it's a little wetter than it is here, uh, bushings, right? Uh, that would be an item that you might want to replace on an annual basis. Um, but if you look at our pricing on all of our small parts, we basically sell it for, for cost. Um, I don't need to make money on a service part. I'm delighted that you've used the product enough that you need to yeah. replace a bushing. Um, we offer a two-year warranty. If you call me up and say, Kevin, I've got a problem with the fork, you will never hear me say, well, what year did you buy the fork? What's your serial number? I'm not looking that up, right? If, if there's an issue and the fork should be functioning, I will I will warranty that. So even though I have a two-year warranty, you know, yeah. I'd, I'd rather make you happy. You know, you mentioned social media earlier, and social media is a is a very scary world for someone as small as we are. It takes one bad review, and and the next thing you know, everybody jumps on it and goes, oh yeah yeah yeah, I've I've got that same experience, and um, I, I try not to get involved in that. You cannot. And, and there are people that you will never make happy no matter what you do. I, I uh, think part of, part of the, other, the risk, uh, forgive me for interrupting you, is no. I, I'm doing, I, I use social media um, and, and it really is a means to, to an end. Um, you know, get, getting my, my product is my, my videos uh, and, and hopefully people enjoy watching me dick about with stuff, you know. And, You're uh, great, by uh, the way. You know, um, I'm, I'm, exactly. I'm very much about the branding, Kevin. There you go. <laughs> I wish I had something to show you. <laughs> yeah, but but I, and, and I totally get and one of the one of the massive frustrations um, I, I hear from other people is when people are criticizing a product very often. They're, they're they're coming at it from a, from a they don't understand what the problem was they, they've done something wrong and there's either a refusal to admit that they didn't read something properly and had for what they were going to do, they had most of the air, all the air in the top chamber, and that didn't suit the riding they would do. So of course it felt inappropriate. Or right. and I think people people without the the, the language um, or the vocabulary to express just are like bloody apes hammering down on on, on a keypad that says this product's rubbish, and right. they don't go any further than that. Um, and and, and a sort of refuse to accept that somehow they may have been culpable in. 
someone and if someone then explained to them oh you should have balanced it out or had more air in the bottom chamber for the style of writing you're doing people people then don't tend to go online and say hey do you know what i was completely wrong (laughs) you know turns out i did it wrong you know it doesn't happen you know it's it's interesting and um I'm I'm really really fortunate with Russ because uh, so Russ is your Russ is your business partner. He is. He's based in New Jersey, and yeah. uh, so for example, let's say you as a customer you have an issue with the fork, um, you can call him. He will pick up the phone. You're speaking directly to an owner of the company. Yeah. He understands the fork inside and out. He can talk to you without even setting up a Skype call, which he's more than willing to do to train you on how to service the fork. We have videos up on the website. Um, I don't know of another company where you can call up, speak to the owner. We're small and, yeah. and to have that relationship. Um, and, and so, you know, uh, I'm, I'm in a really good place. I'm working with friends as I wish COVID had not happened because, yeah. you know, one of the, 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 the ideas in setting up the business was I could travel the world with, with my best friend and we could go visit you in the UK or we, yeah. have, a distributor, we have a distributor over there, uh, Fat Bike Adventures in Ireland. Never been to Ireland. My mother bled in you know, green. She wanted to go to Ireland so bad. Pop on over. I'll meet you there. I, I've never been. I, I've only ever been to Northern Ireland. So, I, yeah, we'll go right there. <laughs> well, exactly. And, and, and so to be able to do that, you know, to go hit a distributor in Switzerland and, and Norway. And we just talked to a company yesterday in Finland. And you can connect with people very, very quickly. You can tell who are honest, sincere business people. And, you know, I, I'm not doing business in Finland. So if we can create a relationship where we both have the best interest for you to own the brand, you are the representative of Ren Sports in Finland. Those are the kind of partnerships that we look for. I'm, I'm not interested in working with a distributor. You know, I have a friend, he's the, the biggest mega distributor in Europe called Messenschlager. And he sells to other distributors. That's how big he is. Okay. I have no interest in selling to a guy like that. I, I just, I want to have the control. I, I, I want to know that, you know, if your customer has a problem and you can't solve it, we will, you know, and, and you can pick up the phone and say, Kevin, I got to, I'm at the point, I don't know what to do. We, we will take care of you. So, you know. So what's, what's the, what's the dream then? This sort of naturally leads on to. Yeah, I think I think you sort of say you've got a, you've got a pretty clear image in your mind of, of what you don't want your company to be. So right. w- what would be uh, and I guess you have with, with uh, please take this in the best possible way, the, the benefits sure. of age and wisdom to know you're not just when you're in your 20s or whatever, uh, uh, you sort of realize uh, I set up my I went self-employed. I hated working for a big company. I went self-employed in 2004. Uh, and never look back. I, I, I'm just I'm just completely unemployable now because I've been working myself <laughs> for so long. Uh, and, and like you, I got fed up with people who didn't didn't care. Uh, you know, I, I, I've sacked clients, which is insane for a small one man band, whatever, because I didn't like working with them. And right. people thought I was mad. But my my life was so much better working with people I enjoyed working and representing brands I was kind of proud to represent, etc. So, so what what is your next five years? I mean, what what's your goal? 
Uh, is, oh. it, is it a focus on the forks? Because you mean you do handlebars, you do standard, you do mountain bike forks as well as the fat bike forks. But is it fair to say your fat bike forks is more where that, that is that is the core of our business? Core, yeah. And if you look at the fork, our platform is such that it's a modular fork. In other words, um, we do four models. We do a 100 hub spacing, a 110 boost hub. We do a 135 fat and a 150 fat. Yeah. So invested in four molds for those crowns. We have one set of dropouts. The dropouts are the same, whether it's 100, 110, okay, 150. Yeah. We can cut our tubes. We offer two lengths, a 110 travel and a 150 travel. Both of those forks have an additional 10 millimeter travel, but it is not a travel in terms of performance. It's to save the fork. It's a compression piece. Um, so we're, we're cutting tubes. All of our internals are the same except for the spring. We have a 110 spring. We have a 150 spring. So if you're a dealer for a Ren product, your bushings are the same. Your oil damper is the same. The kiwis are the same. Um, we try and make it as simple as possible. People say, what are you coming out with next year? You know? Next year is, a, is an unusual year for us. We just did a new carbon gravel fork. It's a full monocoque carbon fork. This thing is tested like you cannot believe. It carries five kilograms on each leg. And we went over 100,000 cycles. Um, there isn't a fork like it in the marketplace. It has huge gravel clearance. And we get that from, A, we have a, a new partner who is based in Alaska, and uh, he is a real world user of yeah. his wife just did a 900 mile unsupported gravel ride. And that's how they, they tested the fork. And he must have been one hell of a row they had before she went off. They're, they're crazy. I mean, I, I can't even comprehend that, you know. And so you're taking everything, you're sleeping, you're eating. Yeah. Uh, water. Um, and, and it's an amazing accomplishment, something I could never do. And so when he comes back and says, you know, this is okay, but it could be better if we did this, you listen. And, and so we created this uh, monocoque rigid carbon fork, we call it the beefcake. And the reception to it has been really, really good. Um, we are coming out with two new handlebars. Um, uh, we're doing an aluminum version and a steel version of a adventure bar with a, a loop in the front, um, a little more aggressive than the Jones bar. Um, and we just introduced that at Sea Otter and got some pretty good response to that. So we, first of all, I mean, I look to work with my partners, people who are really good friends, um, yeah. family owners throughout Taiwan in every category of product. And so I mentioned we're working on a new rear hub. Um, it will have the star ratchet mechanism, but we're making improvements. Um, we are focusing on extreme cold weather performance. Um, we are offering a steel cassette body for the e-bike market, where when you look at, at where their issues are on a rear hub, it's the torque of the motor driving the cassette into an aluminum body. So we, we're offering two sets, one for the aftermarket consumer and the steel version for the OEM guys. And the OEM guys will drive our volume and they will give us the opportunity to offer an extremely competitive high-end performance for a pub that has 
the proper bearings to perform in those weather that have the shields, right? And you're going to spend a little extra for those things. Um, but again, we're targeting a niche market. Um, you know, you, you ask where we're going with the business. Um, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate to work with some great people. And I would love to continue to do that. I would love to work with other friends in Asia that own factories that have been saying to me, come on, Kevin, I want to make a light for you. I mean, what am I going to do in a lighting category that differentiates me? And if I did something, who's going to outdate my product in six months with some new invention in the category of batteries, light, but we were exploring it and we were exploring it again from the extreme cold weather performance aspect. We're not there, but when, when we do get it, you will see us introduce a light. Um, if I can put out a good or better product, look at our stem. I mean, we offer that stem for $89 yes. free shipping, free shipping anywhere in the world. So in an order from the Czech Republic, it costs me $25 to ship that stem. Yeah. I don't, I don't make a lot of money, but I get a quality product in somebody's hand. And when they hold that stem, they go, my God, this thing is so light. Um, it's all about value for me. And, and so if I can put out a value light that targets, again, in a category like extreme performance yeah. or back bike packing adventure where a guy's going to go out for 30 days, how's he going to recharge that, right? Um all of those things are what we look at in terms of a product. Then you go to the factories who are friends, who manufacture those types of products, and you say, I need a new lens. Okay, Kevin, that's going to cost you 10000 Okay, um, we want this kind of a shape. The mold's going to cost you 3000 Yeah, and, and that's how you can then begin to see, all right, my cost is this. What are the retail price points? What is the value of my light? And I know that we can be extremely competitive. With our fork, we sell that for $6.99 with free shipping anywhere in the world. Yeah. Again, if, if you're in Bulgaria and you order the fork, we put a DHL label on it right at the factory and we ship that to the consumer. It, it, it all boils down to relationships. And, and you know, I, I learned that from Yoshi. I stood in a trade show booth and watched that man where hundreds of people would walk through over four days and he would remember your name. He would remember your wife's name. And I would say to him, how do you do that? And he goes, Kevin, that's the most important thing he says is in relationships with people. And, and he's right. And that's what I tried to do throughout all of my sourcing. And, and so people know me as who I am and I am an open, honest guy um, the experience that I've had in my life, uh, good and bad, I have no problem sharing that with people yeah. because maybe they can benefit to understand that somebody else went through some bullshit that, you know, and, and then look at me now. And, and, and how did I get here? It was through the help of friends yeah. that, you know, when I, I was between, do I ask them for a job? Do I want to move to Asia? and be their liaison every time somebody comes in from Europe or, you know, I was single, I have no kids, never had any kids. And, and so I could do what I want. And they were the ones that said to me, start a business, we will support you. 
And we have never taken an additional dime of income from anybody. We do not owe a debt to anybody. Um, and, and we're in an excellent position to be able to take an idea from somebody in the marketplace, yeah. use product and say, I will work with you. I will license your idea. I can get it made. I can pay the tooling. I can pay the minimum order quantities to get those first production batches in here. And you would be, I don't know, maybe you wouldn't be surprised. The number of people who really have a passion, who when they come home from work, instead of putting on the TV, they go out into the shed and they're working on how to make their thing better. And I love people like that. Yeah. And so I, I, I want to work with small companies. The Handmade Builders Show here in the U.S., which we've lost in the last COVID period, is an excellent, excellent value for me. I can go there in a small 10 by 10 tent. And the people that are there are genuinely interested in knowing why is your fork different? What, how are your stems so light? This is ridiculous. Um, and you can have a one-on-one -on -one where that's where I do well, right? I, I, again, I sell myself before I sell my yeah. product. And, um, you know, my partner, Russ, is the same. At Sea Otter last week, he did demonstrations and he took the fork apart, put it back together. And he was able to do that where people could stop him, ask questions. And you don't get that from, from other companies. And, you know, we will continue to do that. Um, we're, we're at a very uh, critical point. Um, do I want to bring on more investors? Um, the money would be good. The money would allow me to hire more people and to invest yeah. in products. But you have oversight where when we decided to create the Beefcake Fork, we took the information from the people in the marketplace well, I, oh, oh, is there a scratching noise? Yes, that's a bird. Is it? That's a bird. <laughs> I was trying to. I was trying to work out what it. What? What? What bird? What the is hell it? is it? It's not my dog. My dog has finally calmed down. He's wrapped himself <laughs> in a chair. He's not wearing a I, I, was, I, was, I thought someone was raking leaves or something. Well, I couldn't no. work out what. It... No, that's a bird in the tree. See, living in paradise, you get that. <laughs> I, I promise I, I won't pick an orange or a grapefruit. <laughs> no, I, a mango I, at I'm it. So, so lucky to live here. You know, um, it's a multicultural place. Um, and uh, to have that exposure to all kinds of people, I love that. Um, and of course, I love the weather. It's a, it's a fabulous place to live. And I can be up in the Tahoe in 40 minutes. Um, Kevin, I'm so grateful to have this chat with wow. you. I'm so, I'm so pleased. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. So, I mean, you know, obviously when you were studying hard in the seminary to uh, <laughs> you, <laughs> take you, the collection you, basket, Adam, you, the you, collection. I, I, I presume you, you asked for some divine intervention to talk to some random bloke in the UK just a few decades later. I did. But, um, I did. You know, I still have my connections. <laughs> I'll bear, I'll bear that in mind. Kevin, it is you know what it was? I like the hats. I, I, wanted, <laughs> I wanted the big white hat. It wasn't, you know? it wasn't just the what the free wine on a Sunday. No, no. You know, and when you're in the seminary and you realize, geez, you know, most of these guys, you know, they, they just weren't sales guys. And so I, figured, <laughs> I could be a bishop or I could be a cardinal. You're, you're um, still selling the dream. It's just a different I was, one. I was driven back then, you know. <laughs>
you know, uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. Um, I absolutely loved your first review on uh, Smurfette. Smurfette. And what's, what's what's not what's not to love? I mean, it, it, I you know, the, you, the bike yeah. and the fork. I, I'm kind of I'm kind of. Do you know what? I'm kind of excited because um, we, we, you know, you guys have. I see the videos of them going over boulders and going through the snow, and we don't have the same extremes here. Well, will we? You know, we have damp and very damp, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, but but I, I'm I'm doing more and more um, exploring with different terrains, and 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 and, and I'm, I'm kind of really looking forward. To make it sounds silly. Well, it probably sounds great to you. I'm really looking forward to exploring what the fork can do, what the bike can do. I'm an absolute convert to the fat bike. I just, um, I went to a race last weekend and I was the only guy on the fat bike and I did terribly, but all these, all these pro riders were coming over in the car park. You know what mountain bikers are like? It's great. It's just, it's awesome. Everyone having a chat and they come over and say, what the hell is that? And I said, oh, yeah, you've not seen this before. And they all had a ride around the car park or the field and they just, they couldn't stop grinning. And they were all asking about the fork. They were all asking about the fat bike. And it's just, I, I think, I think the fat bike goes back to takes you back to why you rode a bike as a kid. It's just fun. It's, it really <laughs> it is, is capable, yeah. and, it, and it and it is you know it does, it ticks lots of boxes, but it's just fun. And um, I'm, I'm so I'm so looking forward to exploring on the fork. But um, um, guys, that, that is it. I'm, I've taken way too much of Kevin's time. Um, he, he has made it very clear that with my technical questions, my next video is going to be setting up the fork. That I'm not to call him. I'm to call Russ. So, uh, so I'm, I would do that. Yeah, I would do that. And uh, you know, at some point down the road, if you want to do an actual service on your fork, you can you can put it in a stand. And Russ will say to you, okay, open this up. Now you see that, remove that. And it's an educational process for your followers um, for just how simple something can be. It is, it is the most simple fork in the world to work on. Um, and we would love to share that with your audience. My, my first video I watched with the Renfort, the first one that popped up was you, I think, in a car park in Taiwan. It looked like it looked like you were outside a factory in Taiwan explaining how to do the. Uh, yeah, yeah, he had a very neatly uh, uh, iron polo shirt. You, it was it was very professional. It was. Uh... Yes, as you can see, I, I won't show you my sweatpants. I'm <laughs> it's a mature audience I've got. It's all good, but it's uh, um, Kevin. Thank you so much, buddy. I'm going to end the recording. My and, pleasure. Uh, do you know what? If if you don't mind, I, I'd love to keep in touch. Um, and oh, please do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and in a few minutes, I'm going to send you a follow-up email saying, can I be your distributor in the UK? But we'll have a different conversation then. <laughs> Everybody, thank you. It's Kevin from Wren. Thank you, Richard. We'll talk soon. So I hope you enjoyed that. And I promised you a postscript. Uh, and the postscript is this. At the end of the interview, I joked with Kevin about no one having uh, or selling Wren forks over in the UK. And I put together a proposal for him and went back to him. And I've set up a company. Um, called Podium Sports Limited, um, podiumsports.uk, um, and I am now the sole UK distributor. So it's really quite quite an amazing story. I mean, Kevin's story is amazing, and he had the confidence in me. Um, you know, I, I've not run that sort of business before, but I thought, why not? Um, he had some confidence in me. I've set up a proper company, um, and sales are going incredibly well, and, and it's it's just amazing. And I think rather than sort of trying to make it sound a bit boastful, it's 
kind of a lesson of, you know, I'm, I'm 52 and I thought, hey, what the heck, I can sell mountain bike forks. And I went for it and so far so good. So just a little bit of a, do you know what, if you want to get into this industry or set up a company, just bloody do it.